I'm Joe Devine, welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Today I'm joined by Paul Ansorge to talk about Sir Alex Ferguson. We discussed Ferguson's relationship with the Glazers, the ambiguity surrounding his character and his iconic status. We also touch on Robin Van Persie, Wayne Rooney and of course David Moyes. Before we get started, I've got just a couple of announcements to make. The first is that we are delighted to say uh, that we've been nominated in the Best Online Media category at the Football Supporters Federation Awards for 2017. Uh, You might remember, if you follow our YouTube channel, that we posted a video a month ago begging for votes. Um, That was for the nomination process. Um, It is a public vote for the actual award as well. Um, we're in a very strong category alongside people like David Squires, the excellent Guardian cartoonist, and channels like Copper 90. So whilst we're not uh, really expecting to come home with the award, you can still vote for us if you think that we deserve to. Um, and just to clarify, you may have already voted for us for the nomination stage. This is the uh, final stage, so if you've already voted, you can vote again, um, and that would be great if you can. Um, I think I've left a, a, descri- uh, a link in the description of the podcast, so... Wherever you should be listening to it, you should be able to find it. It only takes 30 seconds or so. And also the, there's a bunch of other categories you, you can choose to vote vote for also. Um, so that could be fun for you. Secondly, uh, our launch date for the new website and our name change uh, to TIFO has been delayed ever so slightly. It's still happening in November, but a little bit later on in the month now. So keep an eye out for that. Um, that's about it. Other than that, I would like to say... I had a great chat with Paul in this episode. If you want to hear more of Paul, you can check out his Manchester United podcast, the United Rantcast, uh, which is a very good listen. He's also on Twitter, so do be sure to give him a follow there. I can't remember his handle, though, but I'm sure if you search Paul and scroll down for uh, you know a very long time, you'll find him at some point. Um, anyway, apologies for the pre-show ramble. Thanks for downloading, and enjoy the podcast. Oh, incidentally, I have seen a couple of comments... Uh, telling me to get rid of the the flute uh, as the intro. I love the flute. Um, I am more than willing to get rid of it if everyone hates it. So if you do, do just leave a comment. If you like it, please please tell me you like it as well. I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but maybe it's maybe it's annoying. So let me know if there's an overwhelming response that is negative. I will remove this flute. So Alex Ferguson was was at Manchester United for a very long time, Paul. How long exactly? Uh, 27 years, I think. 27 years, okay. And uh, he won an extraordinary amount of trophies in that time. Um, And arguably one of the most difficult things he did was deal with the uh, ongoing reign now of the Glazer family, uh, who, as many people know, made it very difficult for Manchester United to spend the sort of money that they had been used to spending uh, during the early years of their ownership. And so one of the things that Sir Alex Ferguson is credited for is, you know, continuing that sort of incredible level of consistency in terms of winning trophies and being up up and there thereabouts at the top of the league under uh, a, a slightly different style of ownership. Um, but there has been some criticism uh, directly related to that as well. I suppose there are two perceptions that you can take on this. The first being that he did an incredible job to maintain that consistency and bring in trophies during that difficult time. The other being that his lack of 
um, you know, his lack of being, well, he wasn't really vocal about the situation at the time. And I think there are some supporters and certainly some people who hold the opinion that he could have done more to prevent what was happening to Manchester United at the time. I'm pretty sure I know where you stand, but where do you where do you stand on that? Well, it's a big, complicated, mucky question. I mean, you said he didn't say much. He wasn't particularly vocal about it. He was extremely vocal about it. He was extremely vocal in the sense of everyone should just shut up and let him get on with running the club and not worry about who owns it because he doesn't care. I think he would also, if he was here, deny that there were any impediments placed on the spending now. I think the evidence pretty heavily would suggest that the operating budget with which he was dealing was uh, not what it would have been otherwise. Um, the The truth is that United have now become one of the richest clubs in the world without any external investment. So, um, you know, PSG, Man City, Chelsea, those clubs all have money pumped into them by their owners. United have never had any money pumped in by the Glazers. In fact, they've had absolutely like eye-watering sums siphoned out of the club. When when the Glazers bought United, they did it by, um, it was what's called a leverage buyout, which is where you uh, get into massive debt to get the revenue to buy the shares in the company that you're trying to buy. And then as soon as you own the company, you put the debt on the, the, the company's books rather than your own. So in doing so, United then are at huge risk of um, something going pretty seriously wrong. A couple of things have happened in order to make it, to make them ride out that wave. One, they were able to achieve a staggering level of success based on a relatively stringent budget compared to the rest of their rivals when Fergie was in charge. And two, uh, the second thing is um, the amount of money from broadcasting revenue going into football is at staggering unforeseen levels like the Glazers did not know this was coming when they did it when they gambled the future of the club to line their own pockets essentially um and the third thing is um Edward Wood found a way to mark to uh, monetize an international fan base by um splitting up sponsorship into these ultra localized sponsorships so you know Indonesian soft drink partner um Nigerian tire manufacturer um, I think both those might actually literally be accurate. Um, it's it's those kind of deals where because, you know, in the developing world, uh, what would happen would be United would have enormous fan base but make absolutely no money from that. So they found a way to monetize that. But anyway, uh, back to the original question about Ferguson. He was, he was intrinsically linked to the Glazer takeover because of the Rock of Gibraltar and the Coolmore affair. Now, I don't know if you've ever covered this in detail on you, Max. I feel like maybe there was a video at one we point. We have, yeah. We made a video about the, the Rock of Gibraltar, but if you can cover it again in, in brief for people who haven't watched that, that'd be great. Essentially, um, there was this horse, right? Um, it's amazing that the future of Manchester United was so heavily influenced by a horse, but it was. Um, and the horse was given to Alex Ferguson as a gift by the Coolmore Stable, um, John Magna and somebody else whose name escapes me uh, for the moment. Um, they they gave Ferguson the horse. That it was an incredibly successful horse. Won a load of races. Fergie made a load of mon- money off it. But then when it came to stud fees for that horse, 
um, Ferguson thought that he was entitled to those stud fees because he felt he'd been given the horse. Cornwall Stable felt, no, we just gave you the kind of, you know, the, the kind of right to the winnings and all that from the horse's career. So there was a big fuss about it. Um, stud fees are the price that owners of female horses pay to owners of male horses for to uh, get them to mate. Um, they obviously successful horses attract a huge premium um, because of the genetics of the situation. So Ferguson felt he was entitled to a cut of these. Um, there was a court case. The reason that this has anything to do with United is that um, the Cornwall Stable. Or, key players in the Cornwall stable were huge shareholders in United and it was in them selling their shares to the Glazers that the Glazers got the kind of critical mass of shareholding that enabled them to start the ball ball rolling with the leverage buyout. Now, Ferguson's net benefit to United massively outweighs this in the end. There's a reason that in general... When his legacy is talked about, it's the positive aspects of his legacy that are talked about. One yeah. of the criticisms often levelled at him um, is that he left the 2012-13 squad in terrible shape. After he left, he left the, the squad in terrible shape. I actually wrote an article for you, Max, it, um, a, a little while ago about how I think there is um, an argument to say that this is a very neat and tidy myth and that actually what Ferguson was doing was he was in the kind of mid-stages or the kind of the late mid-stages of another proper refresh of the squad. Yeah. And that actually, had he stayed in charge, there were a lot of very good players who completely who completely fell off a cliff after Ferguson left. And it was Ferguson leaving that really brought that about. So, so who are some examples of, of, of those players? Are we, are we talking about young players who were going to come through the academy or are we talking about players who were already in the squad? There's three categories of players um, who we're talking about here. We're talking about the, the players at the end of their careers, like Ferdinand, Vidic, Evra, and indeed Van Persie, um, who all dramatically declined in form after Ferguson left. Uh, we're talking about young players, players like Danny Welbeck, uh, even Tom Cleverley, uh, Johnny Evans. Adnan Yanazai. Uh, Adnan Yanazai had not played for United. It was David Moyes that gave him his debut. Um, yeah. Ferguson put him on the bench um, for the five-all against West Brom at the end of the 2013 season, 12-13 season. Yeah. But, but Johnny Evans... Um, who had a brilliant season in 2012-13. Raphael, another player, had a brilliant season uh, yeah. that time out. Uh, Shinji Kagawa, uh, a player who I think would have had a much brighter United future had Ferguson stayed. So I, I, I do think there is a kind of easy myth to go, oh yeah, he just let the quality of the squad decline. And there were weird oversights, like his failure to address the central midfield situation was just bizarre by the end of his career. But I actually don't think that had anything fundamentally to do with the Glazers. Not fundamentally, because he did spend some money. Um, I I do think that, uh, to just clarify my position on this, I think the Glazers' ownership has been hugely detrimental to United. Not only in terms of particularly that kind of mid two thousands lull, um, and the lack of investment in at the very elite level in yeah. the latter period of Ferguson's years, but particularly in terms of what it's done to the culture of the club, 
because of all the people that left in 2005 and you know Mourinho's having a go at the fans right now uh, for not being loud enough and 2005 kind of marks the key turning point in the change of culture at United. Yeah, I think that's the key point as well because when you know people have this discussion uh, surrounding the Glazers, uh, often people defending their position, I suppose, or or, or uh, arguing against the idea that it was uh, as negative as others would make out it uh, make it out to be, they would often say, as you already have, look at the state of the club today. You know, it's probably in terms of global football, it's probably almost unique, uh, perhaps alongside Real Madrid and Barcelona in its ability to create money without that being that money being injected by um, a very wealthy owner. Yeah, and it's um, worth saying at this point that both Barcelona and Real Madrid have received way more support from state and the state and the city that they're from than than United have. And the uneven TV domestic yep. um, uh, money in, in, in Spain as well, which for a very long time uh, was uneven between the top teams and the rest of the league, which hasn't been the case in the Premier League. So no, I think and, and that's that's a very interesting development. That's perhaps, as you say, with domestic TV rights in, in the UK, that's perhaps something that the Glazers didn't foresee. I wonder if, if, there, if there were some people who did. And, and also I think, you know, you mentioned Ed Woodward there sort of potentially almost revolutionising the way that the uh, global or global level football clubs can make money out of supporters who aren't there to watch uh, watch the team in the same country or aren't there to you know pay for stadium fees etc. So I think that's all interesting, but I think that the the main argument against that, and you've already sort of touched on it, would be the question of what would have happened if the Glazers weren't there. And it's obviously impossible for us to know. It's entirely hypothetical. But one argument that you could make, for example, is that all of this would have happened. The the Premier League and football and Manchester United in particular would have worked out a way to commercialise those fans they weren't making money from. You know, an Ed Woodward or an Ed Woodward type would have probably found his way into that position uh, within the club that those middle years where they weren't spending a lot of money and when the Glazers were taking an awful lot of money out of the club, uh, potentially that, that wouldn't have happened and there might have been better results and the club might be in uh, an even better position than, than it's in today. So I, I wonder if you know, using the example of where the club is now is uh, justifiable um, to sort of say that maybe it was kind of okay in the long run. Well, yeah, because also the, the, the thing is where the club is now, you have to take into consideration the fact that they finished 7th, 5th, 6th um, in the Premier League. I've missed out one. Yeah, 7th, 4th, 5th, 6th. Yeah, in the Premier League um, since since Ferguson retired. Now, part of that is about the Glazers' ownership, not in the sense of uh, the finances of it, but in the sense of the complete lack of football knowledge on the board. Yeah. Because David Moyes was essentially appointed by Alex Ferguson. Now, Fergie has been at great pains to point out um, in later years although this was very much not the message at the time, understandably so, but still, that Moyes was far from first choice and that essentially this is... He tried to get Guardiola, Mourinho, Ancelotti, all of them would have been preferable to Moyes at the time. And just to interject there, has he given any reason as to why they chose not to? Was it because they felt that he was an impossible act to follow? No, it was about timing. Um, so uh, Mourinho had already promised himself to Chelsea, apparently. Although this is, um, you know, there's lots of lots of rumor and counter rumor about this. Um, Ancelotti was uh, maybe he was. 
I can't even remember where it was, but there was a reason why he he wouldn't come. And the same with Guardiola. Maybe Guardiola, I think, had already promised himself to buy Munich. So this is this is the kind of reality. I do I do also remember a rather amusing uh, quote from Guardiola, who said that Sir Alex Ferguson took him for dinner. And uh, Guardiola didn't really understand what <laughs> Ferguson was saying to him. He thought he might have offered him the job, but he didn't really know. Right. Okay. Well, that, that's possible. That would make sense. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit, Joe, about the the season that the video uh, we're kind of referencing here in this podcast was was based on, which was the the twelve thirteen season. And it in in Ferguson's last seven years. He won the league five times, and the times he didn't win the league, he lost by one point and a goal difference, mm-hmm. which really sets the precipitous collapse in the post-Ferguson years into stark relief. And and actually, I do think there is an argument to say that whilst lots of people could and would have done a much better jo- job than David Moyes did, because... If you've got an impossible job, what you really don't want is someone who's completely incompetent um, or, or like nowhere near cut out for that impossible job. You want someone who's at least got a fighting chance. Um, the 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 collapse post Sir Alex is absolutely extraordinary when you set it into context of the seven years um, that were that saw United completely dominant and. The decision to sign Robin Van Persie is is like, you know, whenever I think about Van Persie's United career, I just think about one season. He was there for three years. He he, he was still there when Van Hal rocked up. You know, it it doesn't feel like that at all. It felt like he was a spent force once Ferguson left and and Ferdinand, Rio Ferdinand, and after um, all this had gone down, said that. You know, Van Persie was the one who was most affected by Ferguson's departure. And, and in fact, in his terrible second autobiography, Alex Ferguson apologised to Shinji Kagawa and Robin Van Persie, saying that they were the two players who he'd assured he was carrying on before signing them. Um, but that season, after the Aguero moment and all that kind of stuff, the feeling around United... Of winning the league, I, I made a documentary for for um, the YouTube channel um, about people who were at Alex Ferguson's last game and their experience of it. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is I think every one of them mentioned watching United win the league, uh, lift the league title as being a really important thing about being there that day. Which, when you think about it in historical context, is kind of fascinating because. Lifting the league title was really secondary, really, when in mm. in historical terms. But it didn't feel like that at the time, because at the time it felt absolutely massive that United had got the trophy back from City in particular, and recovered from that kind of absolute heartbreak of the last day of the previous season. And they did it in such um, Ferguson esque fashion, much more Ferguson esque than any of those other um, four the four league title wins out of the five in his last seven years weren't like that. You know, it wasn't about swashbuckling. We're going to score one more than you football. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Ferguson, uh, the the character or Ferguson, the man, um, because I'm, I'm interested in, I'm very interested in him as a cultural figure. Actually. I think, I think he's, you know, very complex. And I think uh, even on the surface level, there's a lot of ambiguity 
surrounding him. Um, and I don't often reference this on, on the podcast, largely because I don't want people to assume that there is uh, some sort of journalistic bias or that there's a UMAXIT bias. In fact, we have every time we make a Man United video, people accuse us of, of being uh, Manchester United fans. I, uh, I, club, am, I am one. Just Paul, you, Paul, you are one. Yeah. Um, the club that I've uh, supported as a child was Manchester United, and that's uh, because was the club of my father. I don't really follow football in the same in the same way now and that doesn't mean that I don't have an incredible fondness for them. I wouldn't describe my relationship with Manchester United as supporting them, but I feel it's important to 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 say that uh so that I can explain personally how I feel about Ferguson because I think um and I we've had this conversation um uh, b- before Paul in that I th- I felt like my relationship with with Ferguson I think that reflected a lot of people's was an incredibly close thing and I think that when he retired and left the game for me that almost closed a chapter in my own life and I think that almost signified um, uh, personally for you know for for, for 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 work and other reasons as well I sort of moved away from from supporting Manchester United in the same way that I once did uh, and also I, I used to consider Ferguson more than any other cultural icon or more than any other celebrity I suppose as almost you know, a member of of my own family. He seemed the way I felt about him uh, reflected that in that I had incredibly positive feelings about him, but also some very negative feelings about him. And that's you know the way that I would uh, consider feeling about the the rest of my family, having a complex relationship with someone who I've never met. And that's a kind of unique experience for me. I've never really uh, I've never really experienced that with anybody else. And I think with Ferguson, it's it's very easy. Um, to 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 see both sides, the good and the bad, because it's quite clear to me that whilst he was an incredible football manager and and in some cases seemed to have an incredible character and an, and a, a deep kindness to him, he he's also incredibly egotistical. It would seem, and I think there's a, there's a lot to say about his character that was perhaps um, well, I, mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say less desirable because I think it makes him a very interesting person, but slightly more negative. And I just wondered. How you felt about him as as a character? What how you consider your relationship with him, and and what you think about him as a as a person? That's a very big question. So the one of the things, one of the differences between the two of us um, is our ages. So Ferguson was United manager when you were born, yeah, and so there was this permanence to it. Now. I was nine, I think, when when Fergie got the job. Yeah, I was I was nine and a half, in fact, when Fergie got the job. So I do remember Man United, and I I was a United fan before Fergie. Yeah. But nonetheless, his permanence definitely wedged itself into my mind. And in the early years, this was kind of unambiguous, mostly because. You know, you're oh, by the time I was a teenager and they were winning the league every season. Um, this there wasn't you don't have kind of much of an understanding of a grey area at that point in your life. But also, I think Fergie was much more kind of just a straight up admirable character at that time, or, or certainly seemed to be. I mean, yes, he had a very intense temper. Um, yeah. But, you know, he was like, he was a socialist and um, committed to attacking football and all these other things that I would have aspired to at that age, you know. Um, the His later years, you know, he had a lot of fallings out with players and was incredibly invested in maintaining control 
over yeah. United. Now, he would say that this was an absolutely necessary component of his success, and mm-hmm. I think that is hard to argue against. I think that one of the reasons that he fought so hard to get control was because he thought that that was the way um, he would most be successful. And I started to make a point earlier, which I didn't finish making, 10 minutes ago in our conversation, about the the league positions that United have finished in since Ferguson left and how that relates to the Glazers, not in terms of investment, but in terms of football awareness within the club. Mm. Because it was entirely concentrated on Alex Ferguson. And now Ferguson's a non-executive director. None of the executive directors, that means basically non-executive directors essentially are fundamentally advisory. They don't have decision-making capacity. All the executive directors at United, none of them have a football background. Right. So Ferguson ran the whole club just himself. And he he was able to do that with success because he is one of history's most extraordinary figures you know do you think you can level that as as a criticism against him retrospectively that perhaps he maybe had a lack of foresight in what would occur after he left if he was you know determined to have complete control over that when he was there um you could argue about the lack of foresight thing but i think ultimately that's not his job that's the job of if if there was an ownership with more understanding of football they wouldn't you know that transition would have been managed differently. So I'm not sure that one is entirely on Fergie. The stuff about his character, I think, you know, um, you mentioned his kindness and the testimony that you will um, read about the things that Ferguson has done for other people out of the limelight, you know, personal stuff he was always the first one on the phone when managers got sacked you know famously not to gloat um but to um to kind of offer advice and guidance he um was incredibly like if you were an academy player at united and you came through the ranks that he he would be invested in the rest of your career to an extent and you know he would write letters and all this sort of thing yeah there's a story of a uh a, a drug worker, a Liverpool fan drug worker who's working with um, a Man United supporting heroin addict and he wrote, who was in recovery and he wrote a letter to Fergie and Fergie sent an absolutely wonderful personal letter to this guy uh, in recovery and it was one of the, the key kind of cornerstones of his recovery was this letter from Fergie and yeah. like, this is not something he did, this is not the kind of charity that people do when they're famous in order to you know build their brand and all this kind of stuff this was actual humanist um, individual stuff, now of course he was also kind of a tyrant um, and uh, would cut people loose pretty cold pretty quick yeah and so he's an ambivalent figure and and i think for everyone who supported united for a long time he had a kind of patriarchal you know grandfatherly kind of um aura around him because he was the manager now you know this is something we're kind of living through now united fans are living through now where the manager is just the manager yeah you know it's it's almost a, a bereavement i think in some ways yeah, sure. I mean, now the manager's just like Jose Mourinho's managing United. He probably won't be the season after next. <laughs> the way it's going right now, in terms of the way he's talking, it might not be next season. And like the season after next, it would be borderline a miracle if Mourinho's still at United because he's never been anywhere for that length of time. Um, 
so and and Van Hal, you know, it was like none of us thought that Van Hal would be there for ten years. Moyes maybe like if a miracle had happened and he'd somehow turned out to be better than everyone thought he was, um, he could have he could have been around for a long time. But but now the manager is just the manager. But Fergie wasn't just the manager. Like that's that's just the manager was something for other clubs, you know. Fergie was this mythical, larger than life sent. Uh, he gave the illusion of permanence in an impermanent world, you know. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a, a key point to touch on, really, because you talk about, um, you know, with so much objectivity, retrospectively looking at, at how severe the drop off was after he left, and I think lots of people have have, have written about that, and lots of people have um, speculated on on what the reason for that may be. I think the reality is that it's a, a multitude of reasons, and I think. You know, each one of them is as valid as another, but certainly uh, one of them was that you know that illusion of permanence, that le- level of consistency. And I think if you you know look at um, Chelsea, are a, quite a good example of this of a of a squad who at, at the moment you could argue that there's uh, an interesting dynamic of player power in that when the players there, whether consciously or unconsciously, feel that things aren't going very well or that they're not totally happy with whatever their manager has asked them to do at the time that they sort of stop trying as hard and I think you know you you mentioned that there were a number of players even in those throughout those three different categories that just fell off a cliff after Ferguson left part of you has to wonder what the psychological effect of him him leaving or how how that uh, manifested with those players and also part of you has to wonder like whether consciously or subconsciously whether they were were playing you know an extra 10% I suppose is the old cliche for Ferguson in a way that they weren't ever going to do for another manager yeah I mean we used to say on the podcast that you could um if they were playing at plus 10 percent for Fergie and minus 10 percent for Moyes that would really explain the swing you know because because it was so dramatic um and and you know elite level sport is again is inherently about incredibly fine margins and five percent is a an absolutely massive um percentage increase um and you know van persie just before we started recording this because i kind of thought we were going to talk a little bit more about that season in particular i was watching a video of van persie's goals and assists from that season nine assists in the league by the way on top of his 26 goals nine assi- that's a lot of assists um and yeah because he was on corners um, amazingly uh, and people were kind of criticizing him for being on corners but he managed to be top scorer and we won the league and he got nine assists so it's all fine and patrice ever scored four goals that season so <laughs> it was it was good all was well, let's well. let's let's um, talk about him briefly then because i, I think um and we'll We'll come back and finish on Fergie before the end, but but Van I just Persie... I just just oh, wanted to finish the point that I, the reason that I brought all that up was mm. just if there was ever a player playing at the absolute peak of his ability and then just a little bit more because he was inspired by his manager and his surroundings, it was Van yeah. Persie in that season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was you, you touched on this already, but he was um was a very it was a very interesting and at the time unexpected transfer. I think everyone, as you mentioned, was expecting him to go to Manchester City or not necessarily Manchester City but I think they'd already evolved a culture under the glazers of Manchester United not buying the main striker that was going to be sold between clubs in the Premier League or was going to come to the Premier League from somewhere else and and so I think at the time it was it was very uh, unexpected and 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 a surprising thing but he really was for that season he really was 
iconic. And I wonder if when people think about Robin Van Persie in the future, I wonder what their 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 main memory of him will be. Whether it will be you know this this fantastic player at Arsenal or of that as you say that sort of one incredible season at Manchester United. I suppose this depends on what kind of like obviously for me that there's just no question it will be that season. Well, let's call it impartial. Let's say if a journalist was uh, was <laughs> was uh, writing about him from the future, yeah. I think they would they would call him. Well, I think uh, I think a journalist would write about um, the three seasons of Robin Van Persie, basically, especially yeah. two, because obviously for a huge part of his Arsenal career he was really negatively affected by injury, and yeah. it was in learning his body. And learning, working with Wenger about training regimens and stuff, uh, that he really got to the point in which he could play absolutely every week. And the season before he came to United, he was absolutely electric at Arsenal yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and hardly injured at all. And I think actually that might have been the season before that too. And then in his his one good United season, he he hit a level where where he was the tip of the spear but there was an awful lot of good stuff going on around him. He 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 would talk over and over again about the culture of United. He would talk about Gigi and Skolzi. You know, this was his big thing. Being surrounded by champions and winners and, and being, you know, kind of developing this incredible bond with Alex Ferguson and clearly being blown away by Ferguson. And, and after, you know, Wenger was in his kind of, Wenger was in his kind of complacent years in a way, I guess you'd have to say. You know, Wenger wasn't a winner anymore. Um, Just in a literal sense, they didn't win anymore. You know, so to be at a place where he could win, when he he had that kind of like, this is all very cliched, but he had that kind of intense Dutch street footballer arrogance and competitiveness. And here he got to kind of express it on the big stage. And it was, and I, I think... Obviously, I'm extremely partial, but I think as being as impartial as I could be, I'm sure that season must be remembered as the peak of Van Persie. Another player that we should mention briefly is Wayne Rooney. Um, Firstly, because he was involved in a couple of uh, outstanding goals with Van Persie. I'm thinking primarily of those... uh, I can't remember if they were in the same season or not, but those very long passes from Rooney finished off by... A volley from Van Persie, I mean, the first one being absolutely astonishing to watch. But the second reason I bring him up is because um, he, I suppose, in some ways could have been uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's final parting blow, in a way. He was the last player with which Alex Ferguson had, you know, a minor feud. And we've mentioned already uh, on this podcast that Alex Ferguson's reign, certainly the latter years of it, could very much be defined through his level of of control. And I think if you remember what he said, you know, after the last couple of games when he was interviewed about Rooney, there was uh, an awful lot of speculation based on what Ferguson was saying that Rooney was going to leave. Um, and I think you could make the argument that if Ferguson had stayed, that would have happened. If you look at, you know, the, the evidence based on what he, how he handled players who I suppose would be seen as being dissenting or affecting the atmosphere of the club, they would have gone. Now, what's interesting is that Sir Alex Ferguson left and the club held on to Wayne Rooney. And I wonder if he'd stayed, whether Rooney would have gone, whether you think Rooney should have gone then or, or gone when he did. I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. I, I think it's... I, th- I think anyone arguing that Rooney shouldn't have gone then just hasn't paid enough attention to what Rooney's been like in the last four years. He was 
all right in the Moyes season. Pretty overpraised, I think. But do you, do you think they held on to him because they w- w- were afraid of the future without Ferguson? Yes, no, no yeah. doubt. They um, they just lost Fergie. They'd had um, crucially, they'd had an absolutely abysmal transfer window in that first yeah. window um, under Moyes, and so losing Rooney at that point would have been such a PR blow because he would have gone to Chelsea. Um, and I, I think Ferguson was trying to hand the next man, trying to take the sting out of the next manager's <coughs> job because yeah. I think Ferguson had clocked that Rooney had gone. Um, and so he was trying to take the sting out of the next manager's job by um, making it about him so that yeah. Rooney could, you know, leave without it seeming like he was abandoning the new manager. It could be like, well, Fergie's made my position at United untenable sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah and, and Rooney was all right in the 12-13 season. 12 goals, 10 assists, played a thousand yeah. less minutes than Van Persie. So, yeah, you know, that's yeah. actually a really decent output for the amount of time he played. Well, how, um, how does that define his, his memory, though? Because I, I, I think you, there's almost, you know, Wayne Rooney can almost be considered in a similar way to, to the way that we, we talked about Sir Alex Ferguson at the beginning as, as almost a controversial figure, depending on your perception, that you could look at him and say that that, um, you know, in some ways, the sort of uh, level of loyalty uh, that is that is intertwined in in the celebration of Wayne Rooney is almost a slight illusion. But I mean, anyone celebrating Wayne Rooney for his loyalty—that's not that's not the quality you celebrate. But that's, but that's part of his. That's part of his sort of club heritage, isn't it? That's is part it? of him being. I think so. I think you know, people. The the argument around around Wayne Rooney, particularly in those last four years after that point when he didn't leave. Uh, was that he was a he was a club legend? He deserved more from the fans. He deserved extra chances. You know, he'd scored so many goals for us. The the rhetoric when he became United's all time top goal scorer, and I'm not taking, I'm attempting to take that away from him. I'm just considering that that I think uh, I think as part of that rhetoric was this understanding that you know to to achieve something like that you need to, um, you need a level of loyalty, and I wonder whether that was almost more chance and coincidence that he was there to do that i didn't see too much talk about his loyalty around that time i saw a lot of people saying of course he's a club legend because of his output and achievement and how much he's won at united and i think that's inarguable i saw lots of people saying his legacy will be forever tainted by 2011 and how close he was to moving to manchester city um some people tainted by the fact that the that second transfer request went in, although actually I think that's a little bit harsh on Rooney because I do think Ferguson was trying to engineer him out the door and there was nothing loyal about his decision to stay with United in 2014. He was paid mm. 300 grand a week um, at the age of 29 when anyone <coughs> paying attention would have known that a player with his physical makeup who'd started in the team at the age of 16 and looked after himself in the way he had was going to have a precipitous decline yeah um and you know so i don't think there's a need to kind of question whether or not rooney's loyalty of legacy of loyalty is accurate or not because i don't think anyone really thinks he has one and anyone that does think he has one is just wants that to be the case (laughs) You know, yeah, I guess I but, guess what I'm thinking is I wonder, you know, when people look back on this, you know, again, it's a case of perception. I wonder when people look back on this in, in 20 or even 50 years time and see that statistic, Wayne Rooney is Manchester United's all-time top goal scorer. I just think, I guess what I'm saying is that that doesn't really tell the whole story. Doesn't tell anything like the whole story. He limped over the line as United's yeah. top goal scorer, you know, and it's an amazing achievement in and of itself because... 
he didn't, nobody's made it up. This isn't, you know, Romario's thousand goals where he's counting goals he scored on FIFA. This is, you know, Rooney scored every one of those goals that he's credited for. But the last four years of his career, a lot of it was kind of painful to watch. Uh, I guess the final question then would be to to, to return to Ferguson and ask a sort of similar thing, you know, because I think the the effect of time, um, or I suppose I should say that time has 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 a great effect on the perception of, of people, often in a way, and particularly after something that we might term as as, as like a bereavement, uh, people remember the very positive things. So I, I wonder if in the future, Sir Alex Ferguson, well, how, how do you think he'll be he'll, he'll be seen in in twenty thirty years time, presuming that no manager has gone on to achieve uh, what he achieved in that time. I mean, I think, first of all, I think that's a very safe presumption for a number of reasons. One, the culture of football, but two, even there aren't really any managers anywhere in the history of football who've done what Fergie did. There's really no managers who built three absolutely extraordinary teams at the same club. It's a, it's almost a miracle, and, and to be a man who could kind of... He started off managing players who were practically his peers because he managed, you know, as a player manager at the very end of his playing career. And by the end of it, he was managing people who could have been his grandkids. And he still managed to understand and motivate them. And he recognised that you can't scream at Nanny like you could scream at Roy Keane, you know, because Nanny will just burst into tears and that won't get you anywhere. That's the same in my grandparents' house as well. (laughs) Yeah. God knows Um, I've tried to scream at Nanny. (laughs) Um, um, but I I think that history will just whitewash over the stuff that was messy because I mean first of all history just does that anyway and in a way of course there's a danger in doing that that you lack the ability to learn some lessons yeah you know and and on a you iron out the nuance yeah and that that can be bad but I think because it's football and it actually in the end doesn't matter at all, um, I don't think it's so bad. That's an incredibly fair point to, to, to end the podcast on, I think, Paul. Um, thanks very much for, for, for joining us and we'll speak to you again soon.